Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. It's something not everyone's really doing. It's something that you normally wouldn't do your first kind of one or two trips to Europe. And it's a different sort of vibe, a different sort of culture, um, and a different sort of energy. Oh, I know you're going to want to hear the rest of that from today's guest, Lucas Peters, who is the author of the new moon book, Grand European Journeys, 40 Unforgettable Trips by Road, Rail, Sea, and More. He is an award-winning writer and travel expert. He's here to share his top seven from the book today, his top seven grand European journeys. He shares three bonus destinations as well as what's great about these recommendations today that you'll hear is that he's got something for everybody. He showed up with a killer list. He's uh, got something for first-time travelers to Europe, for experienced European explorers, like you just heard that teaser there, maybe somebody that wants to go a little bit uh, off the beaten path, if you will. And he's got recommendations that can allow you to go big, give you time to self-reflect for multi-generational or family trips, best double city hop, and much more. And it's all happening in this show you're going to hear today right now. So buckle up, strap in, thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out. Let me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Get your pen ready or your computer ready, wherever you keep your dream list of destinations because you're about to add to it as Lucas shares some of these grand European journeys from his 700-plus page book. You'll hear also about his experience as a travel writer. We talk about more than just destinations, but of course, the core of this episode, the heart of it, is really about giving you some cool new places to travel and some things to consider. And like I said, Lucas brings it with this list. He got a little bit of something for everybody here. Lucas lives in Morocco. He's also an expert on Morocco. He's the Moon Guidebook author for that country. You've heard him perhaps on the show before. And just a couple things before we dive in, we'll link up to his website. But he also has a travel company, Journey Beyond Travel. And they've got deep knowledge on the country of Morocco. And I'm excited to announce here for the first time that we are pairing up to run a trip together to Morocco for Zero to Travel community members. That's you. 
listeners here. You can sign up for the waitlist over at zerototravel.com slash trip. Zerototravel.com slash trip. There are going to be 15 spots. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time to bring listeners together and just have a cool travel experience. You'll travel with me. Lucas might even be able to join us, but he's going to be the one that's putting together the itinerary, being based in Morocco, speaking the language, being such an expert on that country. I was really excited to partner up with him to help put together the first official community trip for the Zero to Travel listeners here and readers over the newsletter and everything like that. So let's hang out. If you want to get on the wait list for that, just sign up for that. wanted to mention that really quickly before we slip and slide into this episode. Please enjoy and stick around on the back end. I want to highlight one travel tip Lucas shared in this episode, and I'll leave you with a quote as well. By the way, yeah, there are a lot of travel tips here for traveling in Europe, like should you get a Eurail pass or not, stuff like that. So we got much more than just the destination recommendations, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Cheers. I, yeah, I think I think we're good. It's always happening, man. <laughs> <laughs> Something's always happening, you know. It's it's been a hot second. I want to welcome back to the show, Lucas Peters. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Jason, man, thanks for having me on again. <laughs> yeah, man, it's good to see you. Well, it's been a while since we did. I know we've republished the episode you did pretty recently, at least earlier this year. It was great. You're still you're still living in Morocco. We did a whole episode of Morocco, but now you have this new book about grand European journeys, 40 unforgettable trips by road, rail, sea, and more, which is insane, like 700 plus pages. So I thought, well, obviously we don't have time to go through 700 pages today, but we can pull out the best of the best. You can give us your top seven grand European journeys, and then we will, you know, get some of the best lessons from from you, of course, and for travel in Europe, maybe some some pointers and tips and advice there. And of course, I want to talk about, you know, the easy life of a guidebook writer, man. It's just laid back, right? You don't got much to so, do. Just hanging out, tra- traveling. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were trading WhatsApp messages and you told me you wrote three guidebooks in the past yeah. year. Is that right? About 16 months. Yeah. I did a, I did an update for the Morocco book. Um, and then I'm I, on the last very last stages of doing our first edition for Andalusia guidebook. So this will be Sevilla, Granada, and Andalusia. Uh, and then my publisher in the middle of this, uh, my publisher was, you know, Moon. So Moon's pretty awesome. Uh, great, you know, just fun to work with company. The, I have a great relationship with everybody from the cartographers to the editors and stuff. And um, they contacted me and said, hey, would you be interested in this Grand European Journeys book? I had a look at, at it and I said, wow, that's a monster. Um, I'd love to do this. Uh, my first question for them, though, was like, why me? I'm like your Morocco guy. I've been doing the Morocco guidebook since like 2014 or so. And uh, they said, yeah, but, you know, you lived in Paris for a while. You lived in different spots around Europe, you know, previously. And you've done a lot of these trips. I, we just think you'd be perfect for that. And I, I just kind of I was like, wow. Thank you very much. That, that sounds great. Um, and then we started doing the work and I, I almost wanted to take that thank you back because the work is amazing. But man, like, yeah, it's been a lot of late nights. 
Yeah, it sounds like you were trying to, t- you're like gracefully talking your way out of it in the beginning. Why me? No, not me. No, I'm no, not, not me. I don't, uh, <laughs> like, well, you actually have a lot of experience with traveling to Europe. Okay. And then you're in it. But I mean, I'm looking at this book and I'm thinking, how could you do anything more than just this? <laughs> I don't yeah, understand, well, you know, so, man. <laughs> so to be, to be fair, so I'm the lead writer on this. So I've done, you know, the heavy lifting on probably about 50 to 60% of the book. Um, but we are like doing a lot from other writers who are fantastic, you know, in the moon universe. So, you know, there's a lot of other people there to, you know, sort of say thank you to, um, you know, just, uh, you know, off the, off the top, you know, um, I, I think there's 12 other writers. I might be wrong. It might be more, but off the top, I think there's 12 other writers that contributed a lot to this. Um, like including like my friend Alexei in Italy and stuff, you know, who does the, a really great guidebook for Rome, Florence and Venice. Um, and he did a lot like of the heavy lifting for like Italian, Italy stuff in particular. That makes sense. I mean, even still, it's a behemoth. Anyway, congrats. And, uh, you know, for all the aspiring guidebook authors and travel writers out there, can you really make a decent living doing this? It's time to give give it to them. Give them the reality of of the uh, the sexy, exotic job of a... Uh, of being a guidebook author. <laughs> yeah, the reality is you have to have a plan, man. If if you're you're you know if your uh, goal is to only write, which I did, I did this for a few years. I was just a travel writer. You can make a good salary doing it. It is a lot of pitching. It's a lot of rejection, um, and it's a lot of pre work. You know, um, and and I think like pre tour work, right? And I'm thinking to like a trip I did in Iceland in like 2018. So before. I went to Iceland for the first time. I'm, you know, contacting people ahead of time, seeing what I can maybe get comped from, you know, like a hotel as an example. You know, maybe I'll, you know, I'll write to five hotels or 10 hotels and I'll say, hey, I'm this travel writer. I'd like to, you know, uh, stay for a couple of days as I explore. Um, You know, is there a way I can write something for you guys and kind of in exchange for a free stay? You know, there's this sort of thing that's sometimes available. Uh, Travel uh, companies as well. A lot of times they'll sponsor um, and then you you pair that to some of your travels taken care of with some projects ahead of time, right? So you're contacting your, you know, uh, hopefully you have a group of people. If not, you need to have a people. You have to have a network of, you know, different, you know, editors, agents, um, decision makers that you can contact and say, hey, I'm taking this trip. Would you be interested? Here's an idea I have for you. You know, so come with an idea, you know, come with an idea specific to them. And so what I usually do as a travel writer is I'll have anywhere from five to 10 projects, usually per tour, sometimes more that I'm doing. Um, I added photography to that as well. So I do a little bit of photography, not that it's a big earner for me. It's just kind of a fun, (laughs) fun way to like spend some time, you know? Um, And you know, like it's, it's all part of the hustle. Right. But, uh, but you can't, you can, you can pair that together and you can do pretty well, you know, like you can clear, you know, six figures a year travel writing still today, uh, fairly easily. Um, as long as you do the homework, you know, what is all the travel writing taught you? Has it enhanced your travels? It's made them different. Um, I, I would say, yeah, I, I'm able to like, I like to think anyway, at this point kind of sift through, a lot of the junk that's out there and get to what's interesting to me. And so personally, like I find it a lot more gratifying. Like I value cultural immersion as much as possible when I travel. So I'm a, I'm able to access that a little bit easier because I know exactly what I'm looking for. And I can kind of sift through the BS, you know, that you'll find. Um, and you kind of end up also with connections now, like where you can 
pretty easily make a phone call or two and have like a good assortment of kind of activities, events, um, experiences already lined up before you hit the ground. Um, or at least I can, I should say, I should not be speaking yeah. in second person, but you know, at least I'm, I'm able to do that at, the, at this point. And it's taken me 10 years or so to get there and I'm still working, you know, the more I know, the more I don't know, you know, that's the other thing is that, you know, you, you kind of end up, I think with that touch of wisdom, like, you know, I've been in Morocco writing about Morocco, um, you know, speaking the language, living with the people, um, married into the culture, you know, I got my kids here, like, you know, you do over there, of course. Um, and so that gives you certain sorts of cultural access that, you know, you wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, so that, you know, you can lean on that a little bit. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, you find out that there's parts of the country you go to that, you know, you're only there for a day or two, but people live their entire lives there. And with that entirety of life lived there, there's a whole nother kind of microculture there that if you have a bit more time, you can kind of access that too. And so that's kind of what, what I'm doing now in Morocco and, and Andalusia, particularly where I do spend a lot of time. It's for me, it's like getting niche getting into like the micro local cultures that I, I find super interesting. Particularly when you've been in a place living in a place for long, cause you've been in, Morocco since 2009 and immerse yourself in the language and the culture. And we've heard a bit of your story before, so we don't have to go over that. We, we can link up to the other pod we did, but you know, just right now, what is the daily life like there for you and your family? It, it all, like everybody else, I think dealing with, you know, we have a three and a half year old and a almost eight year old. And so basically life revolves around the school schedule uh, and sickness, you know, so like if the kids are, you know, if the kids are sick at home, you know, like that, that changes your calculus for the day, you know, um, you, you kind of build your weeks around the, you know, 9am to 3am that you can kind of count them, you know, being out of the house and you have, you have time to you know, get the work done. Um, and that that's, and then school, yeah, of course the school calendar for, you know, vacations and stuff. So, uh, I think like pretty much everywhere else around the world, we're, we're sort of built around that. Um, but that said, having kids that are still pretty young, we don't mind them taking out us, you know, taking them out of school for things that we think are worthwhile, you know. So I'll, I'll take them out going around the school schedule, you know. So they'll they'll be like vacations or holidays that some of my family back in the U.S. might have that we wouldn't have here in Morocco, or you know, my friends in Europe might have that we don't have here. So sometimes I'll pull the kids out of school because I think, hey, that's valuable as a as a culturally immersive sort of activity or to get to know their, you know, their grandparents a little bit better or hang out with their cousins. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take them out of school still. Um, but we do that, you know, conservatively, not too often, but you know, that's something else. I think why they're young, like take advantage of that, you know, I wish school systems were more receptive to that. Of course it varies, but you know, there's a cap on how long we could take them out here. And I understand that's to prevent, well, we have a, a, a big blend of cultures here in Norway people from Pakistan, India, you know, all over the world, people come from different countries and live here. And that's like the case with most countries. And then when they want to take a break, I understand it because you're traveling so far and it's so expensive that oftentimes people want to, I'm the same way. I want to take my kids back and I want to spend like two months in America, <laughs> you know, not like two weeks. And they don't want you to do that in the middle of the school year. They want me to do that. They don't want other people from other countries to do that. And so then you're kind of locked into, you know, the, the sort of the caps that you have, which is a bit frustrating. But at the same time, yeah, I just wish they were more open to it because there's so much value in not only getting to know your extended family, but also 
travel, getting to see things we all, as we all know. So it's a, uh, yeah, I'm, we're all fighting the good fight there, man. I mean, no, you know, not really. I wouldn't say that because I'm so grateful for what the schools do for my kids and, and teach. I just wish there was a bit more flexibility. And I think it's still, you know, it's kind of like government. I think like in a way the, the school systems evolve slower than society does in terms of conventions and kind of how much the world's changing and they can only catch up so fast. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. And I, I do wish sometimes, cause you know, right now my son, you know, seven, almost eight years old now he's top of his class. I don't want to brag, but he's, you know, reading at like, you know, the third, almost fourth grade level. He's a little bookworm. He's like on it with the math, the science, all that stuff. And, uh, when we, you know, we just finished up a, a, a little family trip to the Sahara. Fantastic. In the Sahara, you can find fossils, you can find rocks. And so he's able to go in and in real life, pick out the rocks, tell us what's an amethyst, what's a quartz, you know, and, and, and able to like do a weird deep divey thing where he's telling us about the, you know, the, the quality of these rocks and what they do and their purpose and how they were formed and all that stuff. And that's valuable, you know, and that's something that he's getting through traveling. You know, he's able to put his fingers on it. And there's a different sort of learning that's happening there that I think in some ways is deeper. I think even as adults, when we're traveling, it's that notion of getting to like a deeper space of knowledge. I think that drives a lot of us, not all of us, but I think a lot of us were driven by that desire to have a sort of deeper knowledge of um, what's going on on planet earth, you know, what's happening on, you know, over here, over there, um, places that we've read about, um, seen on TV or watched in a movie. We, we want to see that in real life. You know, we want to see that in person, in real life, you know, some of those abilities, like to be able to talk in depth about a rock you find or something like that. I mean, you can certainly get that from school, but I mean, there's, there is, I mean, this goes for all ages, right? There is something with the, uh, experiential learning. You pick up different things. You know, I mean, listen, preaching to the choir here, everybody listening to this understands the value of travel. So yeah, I'm just curious because you talked about getting to know some of the microcultures where you live and, and things like that. And I found the same here in Norway. You know, on some level, it's it's disappointing to say no matter how sort of much I try to fit in and speak the language and all that, I still at times feel like I'm never going to be totally on the inside. There's a bit of an outsider kind of thing that's always there. And that can be hard sometimes, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think I've just made peace with it. You know, like I, I think having lived the better part of, you know, 20 years, uh, which is almost half my life now. <laughs> I'm approaching that pretty soon. But, I, you know, I will spend easily over half my life overseas where I am always going to be a foreigner. It doesn't matter if I speak the language or, um, you know, that my kids were born and raised or speak. It doesn't matter. Like I'll, I'll always have that kind of foreigner tag on me. There's some benefit though to it too. You know, I, I think that's the, that's the other part to it. I think there is, there are benefits. I think at one point I wanted to be that insider. Like I wanted, you know, like I was thinking when I was living in France, you know, I'm working on my French and trying to be an insider and everything there. Um, and at one point I, I, I realized there's a, there's almost a, a wonderful thing about not being a, a, an insider because you're not ex expected to adhere to all those cultural norms, you know, um, and, and people forgive you, you know, for doing a, a faux pas, you know, for doing, you know, a little mistake at the dinner table, you know, you, you touch the fork with the wrong hand or whatever. And, and, you know, like that, that's, I, I don't know, for me, it's, it's kind of take your blessings where you can get them a little bit. <laughs> yeah, totally. You get a free pass in some things. And I feel like that also, 
I mean, a lot of people that end up living this kind of lifestyle like us, like may- maybe there's also an element of appreciating being the outsider in some ways, right? Just kind of like, you know, being like, all right, well, I ended up here because I've lived unconventionally at this uh, up until this point anyway. So, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just another unconventional thing about your daily life, I guess. It's not quite fitting. I, I feel like I fit in, but I just, you know, it's like you don't get all the references and the things, you know, you watch the shows and you, they can be in the language and you've learned the language, but you don't get the references because you didn't grow up with this and the joke kind of goes over your head. That's just the way it is when you live overseas, right? You're not going to get it all. I think that's okay. You know, like, I I don't know. For me, maybe it's the, the I, I've come to a place of uh, being a little bit romantic, but I think there is something to being able to, yeah, just kind of live outside a little bit and not get every joke and, you know, not get all the little references and stuff, you know? Um, and in, yeah, I mean, and, and you, and you take the little wins when you do get them, you know, when you've learned enough, you're like, ah, I got, I did watch that. You know, I got that, you know, like nobody passing through would have gotten that, <laughs> you know, I got that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, and I think that's okay. You know, like for me, I, I'm, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, Hey, I'm not, I think that would have bothered me more maybe five or six years ago. But I think also like once you, once you have kids and stuff, you're, you know, all of a sudden your priorities kind of shift a little bit. And so, you know, cause a lot of that, um, some of it you do get with your kids though too, which is interesting. Right. So like, you know, cause all of a sudden a, a lot of those, um, I, I found this, I don't know if you found this at all, but like my, my kids are kind of growing up in this American, French, Moroccan sort of triangle and we do kid stories in all the languages, right? And so, you know, learning, you know, the stories, the childhood stories that other people in that culture would have grown up with, you wouldn't have necessarily taken the time to study that or to read that or to, you know, identify with that in any way, shape or form. But because you have this little kid who's three and wants to hear a story or four and wants to hear a story and you're like, okay, yeah, there's the this Norwegian story we can do that we didn't have in the U.S., but who knows, man? Maybe six months later, you know, you're you're watching a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in Norway, and all of a sudden, that's that's the pop culture question, you know. So you get these like little references sometimes through your kids, I think, which is pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of my favorite things, actually, raising kids here in this country, getting to have like the Norwegian childhood experience in some ways. I've talked about this before, and yeah, like something you know, speaking the language does open up like all these other all this other art. It unlocks this whole other art scene in a way, if you want to call, which I do, you know, children's books and poems and music and all that stuff. You get to hear it and you get to understand it in a, in a different way. And it's because it's in a different language. It's just different. And I, you know, even I think one of the greatest children's book authors ever is, uh, this author that's from Norway and his stories are, are from here, you know, like you said, you never would have, you've never would have discovered it if you weren't living there and and having kids there, you know, in that country. And that, that exists all over, right? Yeah, totally. The stories, the songs, you know, all these like little, yeah, little things. Yeah. 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 It's a Thor Bjorn Egner is the name of the author. If people are curious, but uh, it just, He's no longer alive, but it writes these incredible stories and all the music and and everything. And it's it's just uh, my buddy and I was also American. He's like, this is the greatest children's book author. Like, 
the universes he's created is just so impressive. You know, I don't know. Better than Dr. Seuss. I find it fascinating. On, on the Seussian scale. I mean, you know, you try not to compare, you know, I wanted to go to like an, on a Dr. Seuss rant, like apples to apples and blah, 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 start like Dr. Seussing this conversation. But now everybody's got their own unique thing. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, just cool to discover art in that way. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. One more thing on Morocco, because I have a buddy that just went surfing there and, you know, obviously you have all the coastal cities and stuff like that, but it's just one of those destinations where... I, I never thought about going surfing in Morocco, which is never, it's not something that ever crossed my mind because I, I, I don't know, I just didn't think about it. And this kind of sparked this question I'm going to ask you, which is, are, are there some other things in Morocco that people might not think about when they think about visiting Morocco that you would say people should go see or do? Yeah. So I think when most people, if you, if you haven't started researching yet, if you're like listening to this podcast and you're like, oh yeah, Morocco, yeah, that, that would be cool. Uh, we should check it out. Most people, it's like camels and desert is, and you know, you have some idea of there's some beaches or something. You know, I think I think that's the general sort of what whatever gets put out there by the media. Um, I think a lot of people sleep on the mountain ranges of Morocco. There's actually a ton of mountain stuff from you know uh, if, if you're into like rock climbing to just going for a really nice hike. You know, you have the second tallest peak in Africa, uh, Mount Toubkal. 
um, that you can climb in a couple of days. You know, you can get up, it's a, it's a really good path to get up there, and you can you know summit a, one of the tall peaks in the world. You know, which is really neat. Uh, so I think that's the other thing. I, like I would say, yeah, the surfing. You know, people might think Portugal obviously for the surfing is really big, um, but yeah, surfing and kite surfing are uh, you know both of them are up and down the coast. You know, from Tangier on down uh, the Atlantic coast. You know, um, and with that, there's a boom kind of in these like yoga surfing retreats. You know, where people are doing like a week of like surfing and yoga, like these wellness retreat sort of things. Um, and that's that's interesting. You know, um, down around like a, there's a town right outside of Agadir. Agadir sort of sucks. I don't really like Agadir. It's kind of like a resort package vacation place. Nice beaches, honestly, like nice beaches, but like. Yeah, it's like a modern city. It's all built from 1956 on, basically. So it's, uh, yeah, um, maybe not my favorite spot. But right out there, you have Tejazut, which is like 20 minutes north, which has become like the de facto surf capital. Uh, people kind of greet you with like a hang loose there. It's really funny. It's like you don't get as many salam alaikums. You get more like, hey, man, like <laughs> the little hang loose sign. Uh, yeah, you could be in San Diego there. It's it's interesting. Uh but yeah, I, th- I think between that, the mountains too is the other one. People, you know, again, for, for some yoga wellness retreats, connecting with nature. Um, you know, I think that's another one that people kind of sleep on a little bit uh, when they're when they're first kind of considering Morocco, you know. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. I should plug your tour company here, journeybeyondtravel.com. We can link up to it because you do tours in Morocco, actually, which is really cool. We recently had Rick Steves on on tour with us, which is funny because you just did an episode with Rick not too long ago too, which is pretty cool. Oh, nice. That's cool. How did that go? That must have been kind of trippy because, you know, he runs one of the biggest tour companies out there and, you know, no pressure, no pressure. No pressure there, at all. Right? Right? No, you know, like uh, uh, Rick first contacted me because, you know, we're both writing guidebooks and he was updating some Tangier stuff and he thought, hey, it'd be neat to hang out and then... He got wind of my company, took a look and said, hey, that's the kind of people I like to travel with. So let's try it out. And uh, he went with uh, his girlfriend and another, another couple uh, friends of theirs. And uh, we had him on about 10 days in Morocco, um, hitting like parts he doesn't usually get to go to, like Fez and Marrakesh. And then we went through the Sahara, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Um, climate change is real. And in the Sahara, like they met came face to face with the tornado, which has never been in that part of the Sahara before. Like we like our guide there who grew up there, who lived there has never seen a tornado in the Sahara before. Um, and that is that it, that same system I know tore through the uh, south of Spain as well. So our family house up there that actually got hurt, hit pretty bad as well. So there's this like, you know, pretty bad kind of climate event they got caught in the middle of and they weren't able to get out to the Sahara. I mean, they were safe. Everything was fine. We kind of changed their tour up. But I I felt really bad that out of all the people in the world, you kind of want Rick to have that magical night in the Sahara under the stars so he could do all that really nice kind of promo for it. But instead, he gets the world's only tornado in that part of the Sahara. But he is also one of the world's greatest travelers. So they took it in stride. They were really great. Um, You know, we, of course, kept them, everybody safe and um, you know, made sure the rest of the trip was amazing. You know, um, Rick really wanted to do the Berber markets, uh, like these kind of local markets. So he got a lot of time at, at one of the local markets that he just, for him, that was a huge highlight. Um, cause yeah, it is just a very local thing to do. 
Um, yeah. Well, but, I mean, you never you know. know um, that's what travel is, right? You don't know what's going to yeah. happen and you have yeah. to, you kind of have to roll with it. Yeah. So on, <laughs> on like one hand, you know, like on, on a, on a level, I'm like, I'm happy. It's like one of the world's greatest travelers that experienced that because maybe he will go, you know, do something, something about climate change with his like million odd followers on Facebook. And he can ta- use that to, as a talking point. But on the other hand, you kind of just want the nice promotion out of it where it's like, yeah, we had a great night. Everybody should come, you know? So like <laughs> on one hand, it's kind of, you know, like on the other hand, it would, would have been nice to have that. But, uh, I understand you're, you're running a business and all that, yeah. but you know, yeah, the experience, I guess it is what it is, right? What happens happens and people will do what they do with it. This goes back to um, the book, Grand European Journeys. And what we were talking about before is like, you know, in a way you're writing, enhancing your travels and saying, okay, yeah, you want to get into that like inner culture, I guess, as much as you can kind of submerge yourself in it. And, you know, part of that, I think you have this responsibility, this accountability, right? You're like, all right, I'm going to share some things in this book. People are going to go by these recommendations. They better be something that isn't just, you know, obviously there's going to be some typical things in there like, oh, visit the Louvre or like, you know, certain things that people are going to do and it's going to be very heavily touristed and that's just the way it is. But also, this additional sort of accountability responsibility of trying to get under the skin a little bit and share some of those things. And I mean, you have 700 plus pages here. So I'm assuming you have a list for us, right? I mean, before we get into that, I kind of wanted to pick out a couple things in the book that aren't destination related. One section you had about the European lifestyle. I'm just curious, what is your take, your general take on the European lifestyle? My editors made me write it. (laughs) (laughs) so you weren't a fan of that i just thought it was too hard to condense in a few paragraphs you know because it's like yeah what kind of that's why i was curious because it's like it's it's diverse it is it's so diverse and what sort of generalizations can you make that is like okay in 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 the whole on the continent of europe what are the typical differences that you'll find between continental europe and like north america right that honestly took me longer than probably to write than most everything else in the book, you know, um, just because I find it so hard to general. I, I do much more, much better when I granularize stuff, when I get it down to the minutia, when we're talking big overarching sort of things, I have a hard time seeing that, you know, I, cause I, I can always find very exceptional sort of things, you know, but um, for me, the, the takeaways are, you know, in, in Europe, one of the bigger ones as an example would be, usually Europeans will take a little bit longer to enjoy their meal, you know, um, and usually it's a social thing, you know, uh, Americans are quicker to eat on the go, not to say eating on the go doesn't happen in Europe, but it's much more commonplace to, you know, sit down and have a little bit longer of a lunch, you know, I, you know, uh, whether you're in Spain or Italy or, you know, Norway or, you know, Ireland, you know, you're, you're still going to take typically a bit more time to enjoy a meal with friends than you would in North America than you would in like New York city or San Francisco or something like that. Um, so that would be one of those generalizations. I was like, I think that's fair enough. You guys listening to this, don't kill me for it, but that's, that's like, like, that's like the best thing. You know, it was like stuff like that, you know, it's like, man, okay. So I know there's a ton of exceptions, but if I had to generalize, which my publishers maybe do, <laughs> like this is what I come yes. up with, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's just the nature of the game, right? Sure. You're trying to take a rich, varied, nuanced experience and express it using words and in, you know, a page or two. And I mean, imperfectly that's and imperfectly doing it difficult. with words too. <laughs> you know, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
It's very, very difficult. So we understand. Thanks for the yeah the background on that. Uh, the trains, of course, a very popular way to travel through yep, Europe. That was one another of the one. Life changing. That was my life changing trip. Going on the doing the Eurail thing, solo trip through Europe. My very first proper independent adventure travel type of trip, backpacking. And I'm just curious, based on your research, your experience. When does a Eurail pass make sense versus just kind of buying tickets on the go? Yeah, so we, we yeah that's something we we tackled, and I've done it both ways. Um, I'm at this point, I'm such a planner. I think if you're like me and you're a planner, it makes sense to just buy your tickets, uh, you know, individually as you go along. You typically end up. I found anyway, I typically end up saving money. The, the only place where I think a Euro rail anymore really makes sense is when you do want that flexibility and you're not sure where you're going. You know, you kind of know you're going to be like on the continent for, you know, two weeks because you can buy them in 10 days. You know, you can buy one for a month. You can buy one for, you know, five days, I think now. So you can buy different lengths of your Euro rail pass at different sort of levels. So you can do, you know, the premium, the, you know, or the first class or whatever. Um, so you can kind of, dictate your level of travel and dictate your days. And then if you didn't know where you were going yet, you just kind of wanted to arrive and see what happens. That's where it makes the most sense to me. Um, and that would, I would also probably argue mostly in Western Europe because the Euro rail pass is pretty expensive now, as are the, the rails in Western Europe. Whereas if you're traveling in Eastern Europe, I mean, it's not that expensive and you can almost always just show up and buy a train ticket. So you know, I, I would almost say the Euro Royal Pass, if you're concentrating in Western, if you're concentrating in Western Europe, if you don't have a plan, uh, but you know the number of days you want to travel, then you buy the Euro Royal Pass. Otherwise, you're probably better just getting individual tickets. I mean, I'm biased because I've spent a lot of time road tripping through America, but I would say train travel through Europe, road tripping in America, like some of these are the some of the greatest ways to travel some of the greatest travel experiences I've ever had. And I've definitely put taking trains through Europe on that list. Just so uh, they're so prevalent. There is so much access. They drop you off in the city centers, beautiful scenery, relaxing, interesting people. It's just such a dynamic, enjoyable way to travel, you know, which brings me to my next question because the, the book, you have the 40 unforgettable trips by road, rail, sea, and more. And, I'm just wondering as a general rule of thumb, again, we're getting into some of the generalities here. I know this is tough, but when do you think it makes the most sense to plan on renting a car as opposed to doing a train trip in Europe specifically? Yeah, I find in Europe, if you're primarily you're primarily motivated by going to larger cities, urban centers, um, then you'll be served well by the rail. I think road trips are great for when you want to cover less geography you know maybe you're doing a little bit more of a deep dive into a particular region or place and you want to be able to touch on some of those villages some of this you know like kind of local life that isn't accessible by rail because as great as the rails are they're not stopping in every little tiny town and villages you know if you want to see the pueblos blancos in spain you can only get there by car you know or, or i guess public transport some some buses serve some of the villages but not all of them so a road trip is kind of ultimate freedom in a way um, in, in being able to tackle some of that. I mean, I remember my first my first European road trip was through Italy, actually, a place most people would do by rail probably the first time. But I rented a car in Milan 
in what was that 2002, I think. And um, yeah, I spent two weeks just driving around with a couple of friends of mine and that was fantastic, man. And, uh, you know, and the price of rental cars is not that expensive. You know, a lot of times you can get a small like four door sedan in a lot of Europe for 20, 30, you know, euros a day. And you split that between a couple of friends and it's even cheaper than the train. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, man. All right. Well, should we get into this, this list here? How'd you pick out seven? It's kind of a brutal task, but you know, this is what we do here. It's, it could all change tomorrow, but I I'm hoping you ranked these from like seven to one, but if you didn't, that's okay. If you did, we can count it down. All right. So <laughs> I don't want to give numbers, man. I don't want, I can't, I don't, I don't, I think it's hard enough to do seven, but I have, but the, how I kind of rank them is like, if you've never been like, what's the, like, what would be the, your top two or three, if you've never been in Europe before, like what would, what would be the, the first sort of trips to consider? And then if you have been right, if you, if you live here or you have been through Europe, you know, a bunch of times, what's something else to consider? And that, that's the idea for me is like, okay, so if you're, uh, you know, a, a kind of a novice or you just, you know, you've traveled other places, just haven't hit Europe yet. What, what are maybe some, some interesting things? And then on the other hand, you've been to Europe a lot. Um, what else is in here in this book particular for you, but just ideas in general, like, you know, for the next thing. So number one, uh, um, I love it. Cause that covers everybody. That's great. You know, so, just general, well like everybody, right? That's everybody <laughs> yeah. in between two. But I, but I think honestly, like uh, if I had to choose just the one, not saying it is the number one thing here, but I think this would be good, not only for a, like a first timers to Europe sort of thing, but I think even if you've been through Europe a bunch, like doing the rail trip from Paris to Bucharest and then continuing to Istanbul, if you can, I think even if you've done that before, if you did that 10 years later, that's still a fantastic trip because every stop you make along there, along that that old, you know, Orient Express sort of rail route, I mean, you can make each city a, a neat place. Like, you know, like you're going to start in Paris and Paris is one of those cities that, you know, it's great the first time and it's great the 50th time. It's great to live there. It's great to visit. Um you know, if you've already seen, you know, the, as I mentioned the Louvre early, so you've done the Louvre, you've done the Eiffel Tower, etc. There's always something else, you know, there's always something happening in Paris. So you can get really niche there. Um, and I find a lot of people that have been through Paris did have a kind of a positive relationship there. As far as you can have with the city, they end up with their neighborhoods. You know, they really like to go back and get back into their neighborhoods, you know, the arrondissement. And I think that's really, I think that's fantastic. I think uh, being able to do that, um, and make each one of those stops along the way kind of your own, I think is, is, is a good place to start. So I'd say Paris, yeah, do the Orient Express, Paris to Bucharest, go to Istanbul if you can. I think, you know, you're going to stop in like, you know, Vienna along the way, which is again, just a fantastic city. It doesn't matter the time of year. It doesn't matter how many times you've been there. Like you're hitting so many fantastic capitals, you know, that, um, I think that's a good place to start for almost all travelers. I would say, unless you really don't want to travel by trains. (laughs) I love it. Way to kick it off. Yeah. Strong, man. Go big. That's Go our big. number one. Go big. Or I, our number seven, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, that's a good all-arounder. It's a good all-arounder, right? Yeah. It's uh, But that that one for me is probably probably pretty pretty awesome. Um, And I think the other one that's easy, I think, for a lot of people, like, I, I think about people that maybe only have a week. Like, you live on the East Coast. You're, you know, in Boston, New York, Miami, Washington, Philadelphia, whatever. You have about a week. You can do Paris and London in a week really easy. 
you know, and if you've never been to Europe and you've never done Paris and London, I, I think that's like a du- like a sit- double city hop kind double of double city situation. hop, man. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. that one. I think you kind of nail two capitals. They're cultural hubs, great centers, really fun nightlifes, you know, fun, uh, you know, great restaurant scenes, you know, um, and just world class stuff all the way around. And I think if you've never been to Europe before, you you pair those two cities and you can do that in a week. And I think that's good. Kind of you have one week. Yeah, I think that's good. You're not moving too much. You know, you're only going to have two Airbnbs or two hotels to, you know, flip back and forth to. And they're connected by the channel, which is awesome too, because I love the excuse to ride under the English channel on a train. Like anytime I can take the channel, I will. It's a weird highlight for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, cities like that, it's you get you get in a decent location where you can just get out your front door and start walking around. You can pick like one thing to do. And the rest of the day, just wander around and you really can't go wrong. I mean, you're going to find an awesome, some cool places to eat. You're going to pass through some cool neighborhoods. I just love wandering cities like that. Yeah. And they're both great walking cities. Well, downtown London, maybe not all of London, but downtown London is great to walk around. And Paris, like all of like that kind of central part of Paris is fantastic. Um, so yeah, those those are cool. really good. All right, so is that your number two recommendation? Just to be clear, is yeah, I'll say, I won't rank it number two. Just it's the it's it is the second recommendation I'm going off the of second. in no okay. specific order right now. But thinking about the types of travelers, we'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and. <laughs> Immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. And the other one I think about is people that just kind of want to disconnect a little bit. Um, you know, I think some of us, we search for travel for being able to just, you, you know, there's, I think of it like, there are exterior searches, like you're looking for something outside of yourself. And I think sometimes when we say we want to disconnect, we're looking for something inside ourselves. Um, and and we do like romantic 
things around us, but we aren't necessarily looking to get super culturally immersive or anything, but where it's more kind of self-reflection sort of travel. And um, I think there's two really good ways to do this for myself. Uh, one of them is doing like a really nice kind of islandish sort of thing. The other one is a mountain sort of thing. So one's on the water, one's in the mountains. Um, I think if you're like self-reflective travel, it's hard to beat the Greek islands. It really is. Like, I mean, where else would you, yeah, I want to yeah, sip a cocktail, throw your toes in the sand and watch a sunset and, you know, do some deep reflection on your life to thus far or something, you know, like that to me, like is a good spot to do that. If you're, if you need that calmness, if you need that moment of calm, um, I don't have, have you ever been to the islands? Yeah. Just to, uh, Crete. To Crete. But yeah. had a lovely time how there. Could, how could you yeah. not, right? It, it kind of doesn't yeah. matter the island, yeah. sort of. How can you not, you know, whether you're, yeah, Crete, Santorini, whatever. Um, you know, I think th there's a little bit, you can kind of choose your island based on your vibe, what you're feeling. You can hop, you know, through the islands and get a little different feel if you want. But I think for for me, like that, the islands are sort of a self-reflective, more of a relaxing, tranquil sort of sort of disconnect um the other one i would say is you, you choose a fantastic walk you know you get off out of your you know you get out of a car you get out of the train and you're gonna say okay in the next few days i'm i got my backpack and i'm walking right if you can do a mont blanc um so they they have the thing they call the tmb the tour de mont blanc um, but if you can do that in the summer that is a fan. You can meet other hikers along the way and you inevitably sort of will, you know, but you're going to have some great food, uh, more cheese than you probably need to eat, you know, in a week, you know, but, uh, but that for me, you just being in the mountains and, you know, whether, you know, when you're, when you're going from Chamonix and stuff, like you can't help but connect with nature there and thus kind of connect with yourself a little bit. Um, and there, there are those moments of just introspection that you almost can't avoid, so I love the idea of tackling something like that for kind of like a disconnecting, introspective sort of travel. Love it, love it. You're, you're on fire, man. <laughs> on four, man. Is that are you are we are we counting that as three and four? Three and four. And we're gonna count division? that as yeah. Okay. We're gonna count that as three and four. Okay. Um, Got it. Okay. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. And now, now I'm struggling here, man. I'm struggling. If I want to do. Uh, <laughs> Man, I'm Do we need to buy you some time here? <laughs> yeah, can I get some time for 500, <laughs> Alex? Right? Um, well, because so, I, all right, so the other, like, I just don't know what order to put them in. So the kind of going back to the, you know, city travelers. Okay, so let's say you've done Europe a bunch and, you know, you've been through London and Paris's old hat and you're sort of searching for something new. I feel like there's two different vibes you can go with there. Um, I think you can kind of go east or go south. You know, this is kind of my thought a little bit with this. Um, I guess north, northeast, and south. You know, kind of thinking most people have done. You know, if you if you feel like, hey, I've been to Europe a lot, you've probably done Barcelona, you've done you know London and Paris, uh, you've probably hit Italy. You know, Rome, which by the way is great, Rome, Florence, Venice, etc. Like that's fantastic. How can you not love that? That probably should be on this list too. It's not on the list, but it should be. <laughs> Alexei, I'm sorry, man. It should be on this list. Uh, but yeah, I think if you've done like kind of Italy and stuff, um, you know, where do you go next? And I think for me, the next kind of obvious stuff is to go east and start thinking about um, Poland, you know, start thinking about uh, the Czech Republic, you know, this sort of thing. 
Um, so if I was going to do that, and if I had to choose one, man, I'd probably do Berlin, Warsaw, and Krakow. I like that mix for some reason. Uh, I mean, I also have Prague, Vienna, and Budapest. But the thing is, if you've done the Orient Express, right, you've, you're a European, like, old hat. You know, you've already done Vienna and Budapest. So I, I, I like a Berlin, Warsaw, Krakow. Um, you get some fantastic, like, you know, uh, history up there between, the, you know, Habsburg Empire and all that stuff. Uh, also, World War II stuff. A lot of travelers are you know, kind of fascinated with, with the Great Wars. Um, so there's a lot in terms of like Holocaust history and, you know, World War II history in general. But you also have, you know, the general vibe in, in these cities, I think, especially for younger travelers is great because it's just vibrant. You know, like there is a kind of a artsy edge to these places that I don't think you see in a lot of other Europe, uh, other, a lot of other spots in Europe. You know, they have this kind of like artsy edge to them that's very hip, very contemporary, very modern. And I think if you're. Um, I don't want to be like ageist or anything like that, but I think if you're like a 20 something traveler and you've done a few trips to Europe or maybe it's your first trip to Europe, I think you go there and you're going to come back with something that a, a typical, maybe 60 year old or like even me, like a 45 year old, I'm probably not going to come up. It's going to be a lot harder for me to access that because there's this youthful vibe, this youthful sort of energy I feel there that I don't see. You don't see that in Paris. You know, you don't see that. I mean, maybe in spots in London and stuff, but like you, you just typically don't really see that. And uh, a lot of the other kind of grand capitals that are so worried about preserving a lot of the history and a lot of, you know, these sort of cities, they're, they're, yeah, they're preserving some of the history, but like, because the, a lot of them were destroyed during World War II, they've had to rebuild. So they're, as they're rebuilding, um, there is this kind of urge to find the next new thing, you know, and there's that kind of, yeah, I, li I like that, you know, I, I like that kind of feel to them. Um, on the flip side, the other one I'd put in there is going south. I love, like we were saying, I'm doing this book for Andalusia, but I've been going up through the south of Spain a bunch and doing a trip that's like connecting Sevilla, Granada, and Cordoba, along with maybe Malaga, maybe Cadiz, maybe some of the white villages there. That's another fantastic sort of road trippy. You could do it as a road trip or a rail trip, really, but like that's another one you can do that is, again, it's something not everyone's really doing. It's something that you normally wouldn't do your first kind of one or two trips to Europe. And it's a different sort of vibe, a different sort of culture um, and a different sort of energy. You know, there it is preserving a lot of history. You know, you have a lot between the Alhambra, um, a lot of the cathedrals and all that. Um, you have a, a and you can get into like the megalithic stone structures in Antiquera with the dolmens that are like the largest ones in Europe. That's this UNESCO World Heritage Site. That's really cool and totally undervisited. So you get some super ancient prehistory history there too. But at the same time, you have flamenco, you have, you know, uh, the ferias, you have this other sort of energy that even older people go out to, you know, even, you know, that's just what you do. It's a late night culture. And there's this whole other kind of vibe to it that again, you don't, you don't find that so much in, you know, Paris or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Super interesting. I, I love the, the idea of, you know, the Eastern Europe swing you mentioned and kind of using what's happening in, in the, I don't want to sound, oh, I guess I sound when I said the youth culture or whatever art scene, you could say, I mean, that's produced by all ages, but it's like in a lot of ways, the art scene that uh, what's happening in that moment in time when you're there, music, arts, all of the things you feel when you go into those neighborhoods and you feel like 
something's happening here creative. There's some creative energy going on here and um, people are creating things and putting them out there is very representative uh, to me of where the place is at culturally in that moment. And that's different than the history, right? You mentioned the history and the historical sites you can see, and those are almost, you know, they're kind of set, right? It's like, it's like almost a moment in time that they're capturing and telling a story about giving you a, um, an experience. And I, you know, I have to frame it up going through a museum or a culture or a historical site, you know, they have to kind of be able to tell the stories and everything. And that's kind of static in a way, right? You're looking at history in a static sort of state. Whereas if you go to a neighborhood where it's like all of the things that you mentioned, you are looking at the culture, living culture in real time through the art. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And like I said, there's just that energy to it, you know, like um, that, that you can kind of feel when you're walking around, right? Like the like, energy. Yeah. yeah like you, you, you can't pick up on that unless it's, it's unique because it's unique to that moment in time. That's what's so exciting. Yeah. I have an honest struggle to put that in writing, you know, like as I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm like, how do you, how do you put that into words, you know, in a way? And that, I guess that's the challenge, you know, that's a little bit of the challenge of it, uh, of the job, but you know, that is something I, I definitely think about is like, okay, so here's what I'm feeling. Is that something you can generalize? Would other people feel that, you know, like, and so I tried to be really clear, like, Hey, that's my impression, but you know, like, and, and hopefully other people like, can can access that and you you couch it in a way you put it in a way that like it, it becomes accessible for other people to hopefully feel that as well especially if, when it's like a good feeling you know like i i mean that very positively you know like uh, that's that's the that's the vibe that's the feeling that's the energy you get when you hit a place um and places are different like that you know like i, I think especially as you visit and revisit and stuff you know, certain places just have a different sort of, you know, flow to them. And it does depend on time of year too. You know, as you know, like Oslo in the winter is much different than Oslo in the summer. There is a different energy there, you know? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And, but sometimes you just get the sense if you want to generalize it in, in a sentence or a phrase, you could say, it's, you know, I don't know what it is, but something's going on here. Yeah. There's something here, you know? Yeah. I don't really know how else to explain it. Yeah, there's something, man. There's something. Yeah, yeah. something here going on. Yeah, yeah. something special is happening in this moment in time. Yeah, and I, I think too, there's like, a, there's an energy. Yeah, and I think too, like keeping in mind that travel isn't finite. You know, it's not like you're going to do that one trip and that's it. You're never going anywhere ever again, or you can't come back to this place. You know, I mean, we all have our like time budgets. We all have our money budgets. You know, we're only allotted you know two weeks vacation, five weeks. We only have that one month. And we only have X amount of dollars or euros or whatever to, to, to spend. So, you know, understanding that and then understanding, hey, these are places we can go back to. Like I, I like to think of or, or expand on, you know, I like to think like, hey, if you, you know, uh, go through Berlin and you're there only for a few days, well, it's n nothing saying you can't go back. You know, like if you really like the energy of that place, you can always, like you can always go back to Berlin, become a Berliner. You know, and, uh, you, you know, uh, and experience that just by itself for a week or two, you know, or, or a month or, you know, like, a, you know, if you if you are nomadic in your in your digitalness, uh, you know, you're one of these digital nomads or you can't you have one of that job you can do from kind of anywhere, you know, you can make that your home base for a month or two and you know, kind of see what it feels like to live there, you know, to be, become part of a neighborhood a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I love sure. that. I love Pick that. up on some of that energy. Yeah, yeah. You know? Just get it, you know, just get it all in. Um, and then, yeah, it's the same thing too. Like, I think there is something about trajectory too. So when I was saying like, you can kind of go North 
east, you know, or south or whatever, you know, so like you do the kind of central Western Europe. And then, you're, you know, if you go east and you find yourself like, hey, you did one trip there and you really enjoyed it, well, go further east. You know, like why not hit up Estonia or get into, you know, I there's a really cool road trip I did through Transylvania here that I, I just, uh, great, you know, I've done a, it didn't make the book. I did another one through Bulgaria that didn't make the book. Um, but, you know, you can, you can do something a little bit further east or, you know, if you're like, hey, I really like my time in Andalusia, you know, they can, you can go further south. You know, we have a little bit on you know, Morocco, of course, there. Um, but you can also like explore the Canary Islands. You know, you can also, uh, you know, get into Portugal and the Azores and stuff. So you can get, there's another kind of spot that culturally, it, as you go in a direction, it all sorts of, if you like that energy there, there's more of that energy if you keep going, you know. Love it. I like that tip too. It's just kind of, yeah, as you plan your travels, kind of reflect on where you've been and the places you enjoy. And what what does it mean if you're going to push further, deeper into that place or beyond? It's kind yeah. of a good, good question. Good something to, something to think about. All right. Was that, we have two left or did you, are you knocking those out as two? That's two, man. Yeah. I got one left. Uh, oh man. We're down to one. Down to one, man. Okay. Down to one. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I brought this up easy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little change up here. I think uh, going back to the first idea, you know, you've been through Europe a bunch. You think, you know, what, what else can you do sort of thing? I think, you know, Italy's worth revisiting too. I think Italy, like if, I, I have to say, I've of all my Europe trips I've done, I've probably done the most trips to Italy. Uh, I think it is so travel friendly. I think there's always something to uncover, always something to explore, always something to do there that's a little bit new. It's always somehow interesting to me, no matter the time of year. Um, and it's a big enough country where you do have, you know, everything from, you know, Tuscany and that sort of thing to the Dolomites and the mountains and the Italian Alps to... You know, uh, great cities like Florence, Venice, uh, Rome, Milan, etc. Um, beaches that are just knock you out, you know. Um, and I think that's one of those places like, you know, you've been to Italy. You think, oh, yeah, I've done it. Go back. Do it again. And then, oh, yeah, did it again. That was great. And then you go back a third time and you're like, yeah, I can do this again. That's a-. And then you're stuck for a travel idea, right? You're talking with your partner. So, oh, where should we go? Someone brings up Italy. That's a good idea because Italy's always yeah. a good idea. <laughs> It is. Yeah. I think I've gone three times now and you're right. It's just, uh, you can't go wrong. I mean, it sounds, you know, yeah. it sounds so obvious, right? Yeah. Just Italy. Like, I mean, why not close why it not? out? Just Italy. It's just, just like, there you go. Yeah. Just close Italy. it. Yeah. Like there's I, plenty. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to see and do in Europe, but I'd say like, just saying it like top seven sort of thing, like for a general populace, I don't know that I don't get to talk to, I would say, well, if you've already been to Italy once, maybe reconsider it. Uh, if you've never been, you, you should consider it. Uh, if you've been a few times, like consider it anyway <laughs> and, and just look for other stuff to do you haven't done. You know what I mean? Because like I've probably at this point in my life spent, man, probably five or six months of my life now in Italy. I added it up not too long ago and I think it was like five months and a couple weeks or so. Um, and I still, even with that amount of time, there's so much there. I still am excited to do that I haven't got to do yet, you know? Nice, man. I love it. What a great list. I love how you broke it down to, yeah, that was unexpected to me. Like sort of the the self-reflection areas. You have like the, I've traveled a lot through Europe and maybe you should check this out. First timers, going big. You covered it all, man. I mean, this is why you're a professional guidebook writer, I guess. This is where, this is, this is what you do, man. I appreciate it so much. And I should mention 
your websites, of course. I mean, we're going to link to all that, but I think it sounds like people can find all the goodies if they go to lucasmpeters.com. Then you got your tour company, Journey Beyond Travel. It's hard to close this out because it got so many awesome places in the book. I can, I can, I mean, this is the Zero to Travel podcast. We can allow a bonus mention if you want, a little bonus destination, if you will. Something you feel like, oh, like, I just wish I could say this one thing. Let's do a little bonus destination. Can we? How how about we do this? How how about this? How about the the trip in the book that I haven't got to do that I'm maybe the most excited to do, right? So Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so I've done, I, I mean, honestly, I've done a ton of these, not quite all of them, but I have done, man... Yeah, like 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 looking at this, there was only like a handful that I hadn't done yet, um, and so yeah, man, uh, I I gotta say I gotta do the the on the water, man. I gotta do Copenhagen to Oslo, man. I gotta come see you. All right, <laughs> here we go, baby. Now we're talking. <laughs> no, you know, like like I have nice. not I have not been on the northern part of Europe yet. Like I've done, I think almost all of continental Europe. Mine is a couple of those, you know, the really, really small con- countries, but I haven't done, you know, Norway, Finland, Sweden. Like I, I haven't touched any of this up, but none of the Nordic countries yet. So um, when I was looking at this uh, book, and, like, we're, I know we're coming on. I was like, Copenhagen to Oslo, man. I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love it, man. Well, likewise, I've only been to Marrakesh for a handful of days. And that was my entire experience in Morocco. And I feel like, oh, there was, as I was leaving, I was like, oh, Atlas Mountains. Oh, you know, beach destinations, all these things. Just like, oh, got to save it for another time. We've been talking about that. So, you know, maybe, maybe we got to make something happen. Yeah, we didn't know. even get into like, I mean, you could say, okay, what are the best ones? If you got like us, you know, young kids, you know, you're, you're traveling with a young younger family, um, yeah, other destinations for like maybe multi-generational, you know, you got grandma and grandpa on board as All well. Right, well, I mean, give us yeah. two, give us two quick ones. You're here. I mean, you know, we, we don't have to close it out just yet, but oh, All right, I'll, yeah, yeah okay. that'll be three bonus mentions. Three give bonus us fa- mentions. Like okay. a good family, good, give us a good family destination and a good multi-generational, like you're getting like grandma and the kids yeah. and you know, the parents and all. Yeah. Okay. So I think if I'm going to do a multi, all right. So if you're an outdoorsy, like we try to go hiking with our kids a lot and get out, get out, you know, I think, I think the Iceland ring road is like a family road trip of a lifetime. I think like doing the road trip, you know, like with your kids and stuff. Um, I think that would be fantastic to do with kids. Um, I don't think you want to be a, bring a baby necessarily, but if you got a toddler, you're, you're good, man. And Icelanders love kids too. I mean, that's another one of those like super friendly, like with kids sort of places. Um, so I think, yeah, having kids along that you're, if you're a nature family, that's an awesome road trip, you know, like that, that's a huge one for me. I think that would be fantastic. Um, if I'm doing multi-generational, right. And so I do this, I travel with my uh, mom and stepdad and, they're, you know, mid sixties, early seventies. And so sometimes we got we got to build in some nap time. So we just did a big road trip through Morocco. And that was one thing I was kind of cognizant about when I was planning this out it was like, okay, we got some younger kids that are pretty active, but you know, grandpa, maybe he needs a little bit of downtime here and there. So I think no matter kind of, you can kind of make anything of course work for a multi-generational thing, but I think you do have to think a little bit more about nap times and that sort of stuff. Um, and also sort of what is the sort of the things that you're going to see that are engaging kind of everybody as much as possible. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that one, that one, that one. You can go a lot of different ways, man. I, I don't know. I'm. I don't want to go back to just grab one, grab one. Just grab What's your one. gut telling you, Lucas? Come on, God, lay man. it on us, man. The, the gut's telling me the French Riviera, man. Like, I, I'm just okay. thinking, like, it's it's go. hard to beat the. You know, you got beach time for the kids. If people want to nap and siest, that's cool. You have that too, right? So you got you got that kind of mix. Uh, there are some great little towns along there. There's wonderful, like you get into Nice and there's some really, you know, cool little history and stuff there. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it has enough, just enough for everybody and it's easy. You know, I think that's the thing multi-generational. You kind of want to keep it easy. I think sometimes doing a lot of cities is a little stressful. You know, I think, I think you kind of maybe want to keep it with one city and then a lot of smaller places if you're moving around a little bit. That's, that's, that's how we do it. And that seems to work pretty well so far. I love it, man. I mean, we just turned this into a top ten. Top list. ten. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be a top seven. I, I don't yeah. know what the title Should is we do yet. All 40 it's going to be top we'll seven with three through. bonus. With a <laughs> top ten. Yeah, yeah. Let's just yeah, let's keep this rolling, you guys, <laughs> listeners. You got you got a few hours ahead of you. We're going to keep this going. No, man. I I, I respect your time. I mean, seven hundred and forty-four pages is what I'm looking at right now. Of you know, seven hundred plus pages of grand European goodies in this book and people can uh of course either search it or go to the various links but the book grand european journeys 40 unforgettable trips by road rail sea and more well done lucas thanks so much man i, I appreciate having you on and uh look forward to having you back again who knows what <laughs> what it'll be for but i'm sure it'll be another fun one so uh thank you <laughs> thanks jason man appreciate it <laughs> There you have it. I want to thank Lucas Peters for stopping by the show. Great guy. Uh, what an experienced traveler. The guy's been all over the place. And uh, it was great to talk to a fellow American living abroad. And I'm so excited for this trip we're planning together for the community. Don't forget to sign up for that if you want to join me and a group of awesome listeners like yourself in Morocco later this year. Sign up. ZeroToTravel.com slash trip. You can go over there and get on the wait list. 15 spots available. And I'm really looking forward to bringing some incredible people together for an amazing experience. And really excited that we're partnering with Lucas, who you just heard from, uh, a real expert on Morocco, to help us dive deep. And this itinerary looks <laughs> epic. You're going to get all the details over on that wait list. Again, zero slash trip. And these are the types of things you miss out on if you're not on the newsletter list. ZeroToTravel.com slash newsletter is where you can sign up for that. It's totally free. Okay, no more plugs. Let's wrap this up. First of all, I wanted to briefly highlight a tip that Lucas shared when we were talking about the URL passes. And he, he mentioned renting a car. He's like, sometimes if you get a group of people together, that is cheaper. And I've experienced that. And one of my favorite adventures from my solo backpacking trip through Europe, the one that really changed my life and opened up the world for me, went down just like that. We, we were in Spain and there was nowhere to sleep that was cheap because there was some crazy festival going on. Ended up sleeping outside uh, or staying up all night. I met some people and we decided to stay up all night <laughs> instead of go to bed somewhere because that was cheaper and it's Spain. Uh, and we did that, and then it was just like a random fun night with three new friends. And then the next day, we decided to rent a car and take a four-day road trip together. And that was such a, an eye-opener as well, because I, I was just so in the mindset of, well, I, you know, I'm in Europe, I take trains, I have this Eurorail pass. 
But that's what I want to highlight here is just be open to some of the other things along the way and try not to have that tunnel vision when you're traveling because anything could happen. You know, you can meet some random people and you realize, hey, maybe we do rent a car together for the day just to explore because it's cheaper or hey, I see a bike for sale. Maybe I buy that and start riding. I mean, you know, any anything. And I think uh, the point I'm making here is that your mindset has to be open to that, right? To open to the the other ideas and the other uh, potential adventures that surround you. And you never know what those are going to be until you kind of come across them during your trip. So just a few things to chew on there. Okay, I'll leave you with this quote. I pulled it out of the quote drawer, which I haven't done in a while. This one's from... Yogi Bhajan, who said, it's not life that matters, it's the courage you bring to it. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.